back to my burns. So this is the University of Colorado Burn Podcast. I'm Gene Hoffman. This is burn lecture number six, bringing things down a notch, nutrition and the hypermetabolic state in a burned patient. This isn't really as much of an ER topic as it is kind of an inpatient burn center topic, but I think it's really important to understand Number one, because it's a big part of burn care, but number two, you can actually see some of these questions pop up on your boards. And if you're a surgical resident, these questions are definitely gonna pop up on your boards. I helped both my father-in-law and husband study for their surgical boards, and they had a fair bit of burn questions. So something to pay attention to, even though it might not be a topic that's relevant to your day-to-day practice, something that's very, very important to burn care. So with your burn patient, again, like we've talked about in the earlier lectures, you get a huge surface area loss. So all of that tissue that normally keeps your fluids in, keeps your proteins in, helps you maintain temperature, helps you maintain your electrolyte status is gone. So in the initial days, you lose a ton of fluid, you lose a ton of protein. With this, you start getting a hemoconcentration, you get an upregulation in your hormones. So basically the the body is on fire. This girl is on fire. It is ramped up. It is trying to heal itself. It is breaking down tissues. So some even vital tissues in order to help replace the skin that's been lost. And this is a huge organ system if you think about it compared in size to the heart or the kidneys. So the body really, really upregulates everything in order to heal. And this this hypermetabolic response, that's what this is called, can actually last up to two years post-burn. So this is not a small thing. This is a very big problem and can actually make a difference in your burn outcomes. So one of the goals in burn care is to kind of blunt this hypermetabolic response. And there are multiple ways that we do this, which is what we're going to cover in this lecture. So one of the major things that is different in the burn population than other ICUs is early feeding. If you look at most ICU populations, and there's a few exceptions, burns are one of them, early feeding does not improve your outcomes. So if you are a normally nourished person, you walked in off the street and you were healthy and you were eating McDonald's last week and up till that burn or other condition, in a normal ICU, you're fine. We can feed you at a normal interval, wait a few days, not a big deal. In the burn patients, we feed early. And when I say early, really early. So you hit the doors, you have a big burn. In the hypermetabolic state, we're really talking about the 20%, maybe a little less if you have comorbidities type burn. But they actually get feeding tubes placed in the tub room. So on their initial admission to the burn unit, they get a feeding tube placed. And we usually like the nasally placed small caliber sometimes people call it a Dobhoff feeding tube and if you can get it post pyloric that's what we're going for a good time to place this though is if you've given your patient pain control so maybe they've got some ketamine or some presidex or another opiate a good time to place this is while they're getting their initial wound care and their initial debridement because you need kind of an, some extra sedation especially in the really awake patients to get these tubes placed Before you put anything down a tube, you need to get an x-ray and make sure it's in the right place. Some of the teaching, there is some core tracks or some other video type guided devices, but I am a little bit old school, whereas if I'm going to place a device, especially a feeding tube, I'm going to make sure 
that it is in the stomach or post pyloric because you don't want to be putting tube feeds in somebody's lung. And I have personally placed these tubes in lungs. It's pretty common. It's not a big deal. You take it out, you get a chest x-ray, but before you put anything down it, get an x-ray. Once you have your enteral access, then you're going to need nutrition and you can start a basic tube feed formula. And we are really lucky and fortunate to work with excellent dietitians in our unit. And they kind of help guide the tube feed adjustments and the actual needs because they're a little bit higher. They may be like 1.5 times your caloric need as opposed to just standard feeding. You're going to want to make sure that you get an early nutrition consult to evaluate for any pre-existing malnutrition because that may change how your patient is fed and the feeding formulas. One note, burn patients are different than standard ICU patients because there have actually been some worse outcomes feeding ICU patients more than their nutritional needs, but this is different in the burn population because of this hypermetabolic state. They get some extra nutrition, and that's all guided by, again, our dietitians. The nutrition status of our patients, especially the long-term patients in the burn unit, are evaluated weekly every Monday. They get labs such as a prealbumin and a CRP kind of to monitor this hypermetabolic and inflammatory state. And then at periodic intervals, there are also micronutrients like selenium and copper that are checked just to make sure that they're not nutrient deficient and we can supplement if needed. One special population to think about is patients with chronic alcohol use disorders. They are likely deficient in thiamine and folate, also important for healing. So making sure that we supplement those two nutrients as needed. So that's the nutrition component. Again, think burn, think early feeding, early enteral access, even starting as early as the tub room or on admission. Another way that's actually adopted from the pediatric literature to help blunt this hypermetabolic state is propranolol. And the studies, again, primarily done in children. There are a few smaller adult studies. And what this does is decreases the patient's heart rate, and it also decreases catabolism. So you're not destroying as much muscle or other tissue in order to heal your burn. So it's very important that, you know, once your patient's hemodynamically stable, if they're on high-dose pressors, you generally don't start this. But once they're kind of hemodynamically stable, you're going to start some propranolol. And this is actually continued up to one year post-burn and generally weaned as an outpatient. So this is a medication that they stay on kind of long-term. In children, there are specific weight-based doses. But in adults, we generally start 5 to 10 milligrams three times daily and then kind of titrate up based on heart rate and kind of how they're doing with their burn. So if their heart rate's averaging 100s, depending on how old they are, the older they are, the lower the heart rate you want. So a young person will have a very robust response to a burn heart rates in the 130s, 140s, but an older person may only mount a heart rate of 100, but that may actually be high for them. So kind of consider the age and other comorbidities when titrating your propranolol. But again, this, this drug gets started when the patient is hemodynamically stable, and then continued up to one year post-burn. Another drug that's used that you may not be very familiar with in burn care is oxandrolone. And this is a testosterone kind of derivative, and it also decreases catabolism in your burn patients. With some of the available burn data, there were significant benefits, decreased 
loss of muscle mass, less nitrogen loss, and a shorter donor healing time when oxandrolone was used compared to your controls. And the way we start this is we start 10 milligrams orally twice daily. There's no IV form. So something to think about if you don't have enteral access or your patient can't tolerate enteral feeds, you may have to hold this. And the other thing is that this can be a little bit hepatotoxic and you want to make sure to check LFTs and kind of monitor them. We tend to do it Monday, Thursday on your patients that are on this drug and you may actually have to hold it periodically depending on kind of if they are getting some hepatotoxicity from the oxandrolone. So this is just another drug. Again, it's continued fairly long term and generally doesn't get taken off until they are outpatients or close to healed because even longer term, it improved wound healing, restored their lean body mass and accelerated their body weight gain, which can be a problem for some of these burn patients. Lastly, for the hypermetabolic state, I want to kind of cover vitamin C. Vitamin C is a hot topic in sepsis and other conditions. Vitamin C was originally studied in Japan and they were giving very high doses IV and noticed that their patients had a decreased amount of total fluids that they received. And earlier we talked about how too much fluids can be bad for your patients because of compartment syndromes. It can actually cause some renal failure. So giving vitamin C in burns became one of the things that we used to kind of decrease the amount of fluids and some of this hypermetabolism that was going on. Some of the repeat studies have not been as consistent, but it's a fairly safe drug and fairly inexpensive drug. At our institution, we actually give oral vitamin C as a supplement because the data isn't robust that this you know, decreases fluid given. Did not have any change in mortality, which is another important point to any study, but it's not harmful, so we consider giving it. So just to kind of recap what we've covered in the burn and hypermetabolic state, things that you can do to help your burn patient, feed them early. Feed them a lot and feed them early. And if your patient's eating, encourage them to eat a good balanced diet, high in protein, and make sure that you're counting calories if your patient can tolerate oral nutrition on their own. If not, they need enteral access placed. Starting propranolol once they're hemodynamically stable and up-titrating this based on heart rate. Using oxandrolone, which is that testosterone derivative, which helps wound healing and restored lean body mass. And then considering vitamin C in your patients, which helps decrease the amount of fluids they need. One more point I want to make about early feeding, just one last plug, is it actually decreased mortality. And there are not a lot of studies in kind of more specialized care like the ICU that truly decrease mortality, but feeding early had a 10% decrease in mortality in your larger burn patients, which is pretty big if you think about how few patients belong to burn studies. So early feeding is super important in these patients. And that is all for burn lecture six, the hypermetabolic state.